Our next speaker is Mr. Mick Wallace. Madness. madness. This is madness. We cannot fix a problem caused by capitalism with more capitalism. They hurt the people. I ended up at the end of a gun on three occasions. I don't want to survive anyway. Madame Daly will speak. A union which allows fiscal rules to be broken for arms expenditure, not for housing or to put roofs over the heads of people. This is evidence of police violence. Whether you're an economic migrant or you're an asylum seeker, nobody deserves to be treated like this. And even having the neck to suggest separating people from their mothers. How dare you? Buonasera tutti, back uh, again for an, our final episode of 2022 of I4C Trouble with Daly and Wallace. Without Thompson, who was in Canada for the biodiversity cop trying to save the planet and without the mighty Quinn, who's back in Galway. So we're home alone in a European Parliament that's pretty quiet this week now in the dungeon here in Brussels. Um, We're just back from a week in Strasbourg, but more importantly, from a flying visit to see Algirdas Palexis in Kaunas prison in Lithuania. So your take on that one, Mick? Well, um, a bit of a mad trip. Uh, we were in Strasbourg Friday morning. Um, left there in the early hours. Uh, a couple of hours drive to Frankfurt, a flight to Vilnius. A few hours drive down to Kalnus. Uh, and um, Kalnus. Uh, Kalnus. Kalnus, yeah. And uh, we went to visit um, Algirdas uh at nine o'clock in the morning, but uh, well, we were there ready to go into him at nine, and uh, we were there till half eleven, two and a half hours with him. Um, Algirdas is in prison. He was accused of espionage. Uh, he was accused of being a bit of a Russian spy, um, without any evidence. Um, the only uh, evidence against him was a <clears throat> there was a guy who was in prison uh, on a paedophile. Uh, Charge and uh, he was let out on condition that uh, he threw Algirdas under the bus. And um, when we were over for the court case, he actually wore a balaclava. Uh, he was so afraid of being seen because uh, he was lying through his teeth. Um, but any, anyway, uh, Algirdas got six years in total uh, in prison. He's already served over two and a half uh, in total. So um, look at. Um, it's shocking that somebody, uh, a journalist, because Algirdas is a journalist, and it's shocking that a journalist could be put in prison for his political views uh, in the European Union. But um, that's what we've got. And um, it was interesting that um, the Irish government were, were recently uh, seen to be more in the Baltic uh, countries and Poland camp than they were in the, the likes of France and Germany. Uh, because uh, for us, um, the Baltic countries... Um, are a bit um, lawless, really, to, to tell you the truth. Um, so, I mean, the, it's a bit mad. I think that one of the more shocking things about this case, to maybe remind people, because we're obviously used to the Special Criminal Court in Ireland, which is kind of non-jury, and some of the provisions allow secret evidence that the convicted person or the person charged isn't allowed to see, and we've seen it in the Diplock Courts in the North. 
sometimes the accused doesn't even know what they're accused of. So how can you defend yourself? But the Lithuanians take this to a stage further where not only does the defendant and their solicitors not know what the charge was or what the evidence was. In this instance, the judges were not even allowed to see the state's evidence against him that he was a Russian spy. So that really takes the biscuits and that this prevails in the European Union in 2022 is shocking. But look at, you know, Algirdas is a former diplomat and politician, a really nice guy. It's obviously hard being in prison, but his resolve is strong. He's a lot of support. We met a lot of his Lithuanian colleagues there. Uh, Their fright goes on. I suppose one of the more lasting memories for me is the fact that when we were there and he was discussing with Tatiana, our MEP colleague from Latvia, and they were listing out all of the people who were in prison across Eastern Europe for dissenting views uh, and expressing their opinions. It's quite frightening, actually, when you think about it. Um, that that was kind of what struck me. But look, at, we were glad to show solidarity. and, and yeah, so Just goes to show that Julian Assange is not on his own. Uh, but on the positive side, um, I thought Algirdas looked really well. He's very strong mentally. Uh, he's teaching English. Uh, he's given music lessons. And... Mm. Uh, He's doing a lot of physical activity and um, it was just good to see him in such good health. And it should be said as well that uh, he was at pains to point out that he's actually been well treated in the prison, which is great. And the prison has improved, which is great as well. Prison conditions, because we were when we were in the Dáil years ago, we went over to visit... To visit the trial of, of Michael Campbell and the conditions were dire at that stage so there have been improvements so that's good and we should acknowledge that too but on the subject of Assange it was a week for Julian as well in the European Parliament Yeah well uh, Julian was shortlisted for the Sakharov Prize um, now the Sakharov Prize has generally been more or less used as a, as a an instrument of US imperialism um, to undermine countries that don't fall under the remit of US control. Um, but anyway, obviously, Zelensky was uh, romped home the winner. Uh, I mm-hmm. think Paddy Power weren't taking any bets <laughs> on it. Um, I think it was the people of Ukraine and Zelensky, or Zelensky and the people of Ukraine, uh, yeah, not well, sure. Uh, yeah. Whatever, yeah. Uh, but uh, they, they were pretty, they were a hot favourite anyway. Indeed. And, um, but listen, it was, it, was, uh, it was good that um, that Julian at least got on the short list. Uh, we needed 40 names to get him nominated in the first place. The ballot was secret and that was interesting. Um, we were surprised that he actually made the first three uh, short list. Uh, it just goes to show that uh, a lot of MEPs um, are conscious of the fact that this is uh, an, a total injustice, that a journalist, uh, Julian Assange, would be in prison for exposing the truth around US and NATO war crimes. And yet uh, our so much of our own mainstream media across Europe and at home in Ireland uh, dare not raise our head uh, in defence of Julian, despite the fact that uh, this is uh, if Julian ends up extradited to the US and thrown into a prison to rot away, um, it'll have a serious chilling effect on um, 
independent journalism, but then we don't have a whole lot of independent journalism uh, at home in Ireland anyway, so maybe that doesn't bother them a whole lot. Yeah, I mean, it was a bit of a coup by getting them onto the shortlist, good tactical voting and all of that, and I think the big parties messed up, but uh, it was significant that he was shortlisted and his wife and campaign members came over to the Parliament for a couple of days down in Strasbourg. That's the norm, the shortlisted people, their families, if they're in prison, uh, attend, so that was good that it got it onto the agenda again and I found it interesting that in the discussion on media freedom the next day by far and away by far and away Julian's name was the one most mentioned across the house by people in the different political groups and that was up against journalists who've been murdered in that as well so I thought that was quite significant so look at I mean it's in the lap of the gods unfortunately the legal avenues are pretty short at this stage. Obviously, the UK is talking about pulling out of the European Court of Justice and so on, which would remove that as an avenue for a legal challenge later on. Um, It's touch and go and ultimately political pressure on both the British, but particularly the US administration is going to be key on this one. Yeah, and uh, it's interesting that uh, the likes of The Guardian in England um, Le Monde in France, Washington, or Washington Post and, and the New York Times have now called for Julian's release mm. and they were they went silent and refused to support him there for a number of years despite the fact that they made a fortune selling uh, the WikiLeaks cables uh, in their newspapers. Um, so maybe the tide is turning and um, we might even find uh, some decent journalists in Ireland coming out in defence of Julian. Now that would be novel. But uh, no, I mean, I think... It's a really interesting scenario and it's one of these examples of which there's so many at the moment where people say one thing and the reality is very much the opposite. But the European Parliament talks morning, noon and night about media freedoms and eulogises what a great benefit this is to our democracies and so on. And yet we know that the media doesn't fulfil that role. It's bound hand and glove to the interests of the establishment. They rehash old news. They don't hold power to account. And they're really disappointing. And I mean, I had made that point during my contribution on the freedom of journalists in the plenary in Strasbourg last week. And we put out the piece on social media and I was shocked at the feedback, like the absolute hatred of people across the globe for what they call the uh, MSN, mainstream media. I didn't even know that it had an abbreviation. People can't stand them and can see through them because they're just corporate puppets. Yeah, but I mean, listen, um, I mean, uh, at home, mainstream media uh, was was reasonable. Um, was might have been perfect, but um, they weren't quite as biased and distorted as they are now. Mm. I mean, they're right now with an agenda and um, that's very disappointing, obviously. Mm. There's no old-style reporting of s- talking about something that happened, who said what, you said what, and draw your own <laughs> conclusions. It's all opinion-forming, gossip, tittle-tattle, selective with, reporting. With very little research. And evidence. Very little yeah. research or evidence, yeah. 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 Scary stuff, but mad, anyway. Mad times. Yeah, but I mean, obviously, of course, even, you know, while... Sakharov might have been the big star of the week. Actually, it wasn't because it was overshadowed by our own Cattergate, the big scandal gripping the European Parliament, one of the and vice... it wasn't pre- the World Cup. And it wasn't even the World <laughs> Cup. It was our very own, one of our very own uh, vice president's house caught with bundles of cash, uh, alleged 
um, corruption with fighting for the interests of Qatar in the European Parliament. About 40 uh, staff and uh, assistants rounded up in inquiries. The Belgian police going into overdrive and obviously the European Parliament apoplectic about what was going on. Now, Eva Kali, the uh, Social Democratic Vice President involved, a Greek MEP, her membership of the her political party PASOK in Greece was revoked immediately, her membership of the S&D group the same, and then the Parliament voted to remove her as uh, Vice President as well, although she obviously remains as an MEP, and I think she remains in prison as well, as far as I know. Um, 1.5 million found in bundles of cash in a number of residents, and a former MEP is implicated, um, and an NGO that this alleged human rights defenders NGO that this individual is at the head of was involved and they were basically whitewashing Qatar. Um, so look at the parliament has gone into overdrive. What do you think, Mick? What's your take on the whole thing? It's obviously great for the gossip mongers, but what's really going on here? Yeah, I mean, um, MEPs queued up this week in the plenary in Strasbourg uh, to tell us how horrified they were that uh, an MEP or more uh, would be dragging the place into disrepute uh, by... T- uh, taking a bribe from anybody and uh, listen we all agree that that's not great and uh, taking money from anyone uh, f- uh, in order to uh, return political flav- favour of any sort uh, is grubby and uh, it's terribly wrong um, but I suppose for me uh, my, my the biggest surprise was that it came out mm, and uh, I was surprised that they were caught Right. And that there was such a serious investigation, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, um, it's been fairly extensive and uh, by all accounts, the Belgian police uh, seem to have done their homework well. Um, but the idea that this would be a one-off um, uh, really doesn't stand up. Um, money for favours uh, is pretty common in politics all over the world, uh, not just in the European Parliament, not just in the Irish. I mean, it, these things happen, right? And... Uh, I'm not saying that every politician uh, takes money uh, in order to speak up for somebody or for a cause or for um, one thing or another, uh, but it does happen. Uh, how much, um, we d- it's very hard to tell, right? But I suppose um, uh, it would be uh, very surprising if, uh, if this was a, a loan case. And uh, a number of people raised the fact that there's... Um, there's huge controversy over the agreement done with Pfizer for the COVID vaccine. Uh, we're talking billions here, not the, the what the one and a half million that mm-hmm. was got in cash uh, uh, around Qatar, but uh, we're talking billions with Pfizer. And uh, interestingly enough, um, there's been very little uh, news about the fact that von der Leyen uh, wiped her her text from her phone. You know what I mean? Uh, Noreen O'Sullivan uh, the Garda Commissioner was doing that and uh, it didn't go down great at home uh, but Wanderlein seems to be getting away with it um, but um, uh, there's, there's a lot of questions to be asked about uh, an awful lot of contracts that are given out by the European Union and uh, look at uh, there's a lot of causes promoted in the European Parliament and um, we see people brought before committees that bat for NATO morning, noon and night. 
spat for the military industrial complex. Um, and these, these, these are wheeled in uh, on a regular basis before our committees. And, and yet, we don't hear the voices uh, challenging uh, the likes of NATO and the military-industrial complex or US empire. And I, I hear I hear MEPs and some of them Irish MPs, MEP, MP, MEPs included, uh, batting for NATO and and uh, and the war as well at, at a really a bit a bit over the top scale. I mean, uh, listen, I, I'm I'm not saying that they're getting money, but I mean. People should be asking questions. I mean, uh, why are people going to such lengths sometimes uh, to promote a certain cause? Uh, I'm not saying that there's money changing hands, but uh, still it doesn't look great. I think there's a whole ethical question around the whole area that needs a lot of examination. I mean, you're right, a few people were talking about von der Leyen's relationship with Pfizer. Now, in fairness, our own Emily O'Reilly, the EU ombudswoman, has been doing a good investigation into that. And it was in response to her pursuit of Ursula von der Leyen that the evidence came out into the open that her text messages between her and Pfizer have been deleted. Now, that happened on Wednesday and there was hardly a mention of it. Now, there are some people who think that the raid on the S&Ds and Ava Kelly was deliberately done to throw the eye away from Ursula von der Leyen. I don't think that is the case, even though allegedly the tip off for this a year ago came from the EPP group um, about what was going on with the S&D group. So the Christian Democrat group, which Ursula von der Leyen is in, tipped off the police about what the Greek MEPs group, which is the Social Democrats. So is it involved in that? But I do think what the message you can draw is probably that they're all at it. and it's just a question of degrees. Now, bags of cash in your apartment and then say, no, I didn't know they were there. Well, you must have an absolute mansion because uh, there's quite a lot of them there. Now, I don't know, in my account, yeah, I don't know where it was just resting in my <laughs> spare bedroom that I don't go into. I don't know. But in any case, that's grubby. I mean, anybody who gets bags of cash knows they're being bought. You know, I mean, I went down this morning to collect my post and there were some of the most beautiful hampers you ever saw in your life down there for a load of MEPs. Now, notably, we didn't get any, so I don't know who was given them. But back in my days of being a councillor and our days of being a TD, there were always people who gave you presents, inverted commas. And sure, no one's stupid enough to know that with a present, as we say ourselves, there's no such thing as free ride. Uh, something has been, you know, you're being friendly, so you want the person to be friendly back and all of that. But look, at you know, there's a lot of moralism going on and you're right where do you draw the line because we have highlighted actually the fact that Qatar was being fast tracked for visas now it wasn't because of the Ava Kelly that this was happening the commission were behind that fully and I was at all the meetings we've discussed it on previous podcasts people can go back on it but the reason for that was that the EU was turning a blind eye on Qatar's human rights record to get their uh, LNG now that's just it's not that far removed from what the, what the others were doing as well. It's it's turning a blind eye on human rights for gain. That's what it was. And it's the same thing. And that's the name of the game. And my biggest problem about this is that it's putting the spotlight on what's going on here. And we have a chance now to sort of do something about it. But there's too much focus on foreign interference. But as we made the point, interference is interference and corruption is corruption. And there are, and we've dealt with it on this programme before, 12,000 registered lobbying organisations in Brussels alone. They have a budget of 1.8 billion a year to influence the decision making 
of the European Union. You can have all the transparency registers you like while that's going on. They have the ear of the MEPs. So you need to follow the voting records, really, to catch people out rather than whether they're declaring they had a meeting with whoever. Yeah, and people, I mean, we've said it before, but there's 705 MEPs and we've 12,000 organisations registered as lobbyists. And uh, as we were saying, uh, with you were saying, Claire, that there's 48,000 lobbyists, individuals, uh, yeah. individuals actually allowed to come in mm. and lobby in the parliament and they'd have more staff. How many uh, each? Is that office. about 100 you each? Know, I mean, <laughs> even just put it at 48,000 then dealing with for 705 MEPs, some influential commissioners, some influential people on the council. And Jesus, now it's a bit, it's a bit stronger. And 1.8 billion, you said? 1.8 billion euros? Annually. Annually, right? Well, I mean, now in fairness now, the, the bottle of whiskey or the box of chocolates at home uh, is fairly harmless now in comparison. And I actually don't see anything wrong with, with people giving a box of chocolates or a bottle of whiskey or a bottle of wine totally. uh, to people at Christmas at home. It, it's, it's a traditional thing and uh, I don't actually think it's necessarily buying favour. I think you need to pay a little bit more to buy favour myself, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I mean, look at uh, 48,000 lobbyists allowed to go into the European Parliament but what you said as well is that, and then every single committee, there's people wheeled out officially. And we've been blue in the face raising this on the Foreign Interference Committee that they bring in these so-called independent experts, but they're not independent. Most of them have conflicts of interest. They're linked to the National Endowment of Democracy. So basically US imperialism's mouthpieces and they're brought in neutral. So anybody who toes the line with US imperialism is grand. Anybody else has an agenda. And I was quite shocked during the week we did an interview with one of the newspapers and the journalist put to us that somebody had said to him that now that Qatargate had come out, would our offices be raided to see where we get money from Russia or Iran or something? Now, see, I, I was actually so horrified and shocked at this that I kind of fluffed my answer. But what this is, is this is an attempt to delegitimise our political view. And it's very serious. I've never thought once that, say, Enda Kenny or Michal Martin or these fellas were getting money from the US because they allow the US transit through, because they open up our economy for multinationals, blah, 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 blah. I just think that's their politics. And what they're trying to do is say that our views are so weird that the only basis for them could be that we're getting money, uh, which is just disgusting delegitimization of a view that's actually held by loads of people around the world because one of the other points we had to correct him of when he was going on oh very lonely place for you saying it's not lonely at all actually we have loads of people coming up to us all the time both inside the parliament and outside saying they share our views which is a, another indication of how out of touch the mainstream media are really yeah well you were just touching on who's been wheeled in and out at the committees and who's not um, in three, we're here three and a half years now, over three and a half years, and we only miss security and defence committees or foreign affairs if there's a clash with another committee, right? And rarely miss any of them. And I have listened to so much of the US imperialism line, and I, I, I cannot recall listening to anyone coming in before any of the committees and challenging US empire, challenging the existence of NATO as, as a, a force for good. I haven't heard him. Mm. Bar, my memory's letting me down. But I hear the opposite all the time. And when we challenge that in public, 
we're all we're attacked as if uh, somebody uh, we're, we're working on, on behalf of somebody else. Mm. But when uh, when others promote the U.S. imperialism line, unquestionable, mm. uh, morning, noon, and night. Totally ignore the fact that the Americans uh, drop more bombs than the rest of the world put together every goddamn day, mm. and they totally ignored it. We're, we're because we're looking for peace. We're automatically described as uh, Putin stooges, yeah, right? Uh, it isn't that we're, they know we're not supporting Putin. We're, uh, we haven't taken sides in the war. We, we're looking for peace, right? And we want diplomacy and dialogue to break out. But unfortunately, about 80% of the politicians in the European Parliament don't. Unfortunately, too many politicians in the member states across Europe don't want peace because the US NATO don't want it yet. Mm. And this is scandalous. But nobody is asking the questions, why are they promoting US imperialism uh, unquestioning? in that manner. Mm. No one's asking the question, why aren't the Irish media challenging Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael for the rhetoric around this? Mm. And why are they themselves so silent about US imperialism? We didn't hear a word about putting sanctions on America or declaring it a, a state sponsor of terrorism when they killed a million civilians in Iraq, when they destroyed Afghanistan, when they've let millions starving in the place and they're continuing to starve millions in Yemen. And where is the, where's the independent media? You see, I think it shows how Atlantis there in their outlook. It's a viewpoint that's actually not shared by countries which contain the majority of the world's population think differently. But in Europe, we are so subservient to the US that we just follow their line. Although there was an interesting discussion about the US Inflation Act, Inflation Reduction Act that both of us spoke on in Strasbourg, which maybe showed a few cracks beginning to emerge between the like-minded partners when Biden and friends have brought in some protectionist measures to put America first, something they always well, do. But the Europeans weren't happy with that one, were they? Just follow the money. And they were OK with introducing sanctions against Russia. They mm. were having a serious impact on the citizens of Europe, driving up their energy prices, driving up inflation, driving up the cost of living. But when European industry starts feeling the pain a bit more with the, uh, the Inflation Reduction Act by the Americans, what this is, is American introducing, introducing protectionism. In other words, they're subsidising their own industry so that they can blow the European industry out of the water. And of course, this comes as a double whammy because because we're so clever that we won't buy cheap Russian gas now and we'd rather pay the Americans a fortune for uh, American filthy frack gas LNG from America. We're paying them four times more than the Americans are charging their own people and most importantly, their own industry. Mm. So somebody trying to make a car in Germany and someone trying to make the same car in America, the American fella is getting his energy price, energy costs for a quarter of what the European is paying. Not great. And then the Inflation Act is they are literally subsidising industry and totally ignoring uh, world trade rules and just doing what America does best. And that's putting America first. And uh, God, good luck to you after that. And uh, I did quote the famous Henry Kissinger, uh, who got uh, the Nobel Prize for Peace way back when he was supposed to have ended the Vietnam War, but there was 48,000 Vietnamese killed the year that they gave him the, the Peace Prize. But uh, Kissinger was pretty a straight talker. And Kissinger said, people should remember, he said, America has no friends and no enemies. We only have interest. Well, 
von der Leyen and Borrell and uh, the European Commission now need to start taking that on board. I actually think that was mistakenly attributed to Henry Kissinger because I was going to use it myself and we found out with someone else whose name escapes me. But in any case, the quote yeah. is valid and very true. Absolutely. Are you sure? I, think, I thought Kissinger said it. No, and, and that's often said that he said it, but he actually didn't. Now, I could accuse you of spreading fake news, but I won't. But you did say to me the other night, I think that actually Intel... And this is partly, as a good example, Intel have decided now not to invest in Germany and go to America. Did you say that to me? Yeah, uh, Intel had planned a 16 billion euro or dollar uh, investment in Germany. And they have, uh, it's just been uh, rumoured now. Uh, I don't know whether there's been an official announcement yet, but it seems that Intel are pulling out and they're going to invest it in America instead, where there's cheap gas. Mm. Now, we've also heard rumours, and and not just rumours, but uh, some German industry, not only are they going to America to buy uh, in order to work off of uh, cheap LNG, but they're going to China, they're following the Russian gas to China. Mm. So what does this mean for the citizens of Europe? It means job losses and... uh, it is a big problem and uh, Europe needs to cop onto itself. It needs to start acting in the interest of its own citizens and in the interest of its own business mm. and uh, stop playing uh, like a puppet uh, to US. I think this could be one of the areas that bring a collision between the partners and maybe the basis of some sort of a breakthrough in terms of the approach on the war. But in any case, I don't want to leave Qatar Gate or Qatar without allowing you mention the World Cup, your absolute favourite. Well, football, <laughs> soccer, you know what I mean? Not necessarily World well, Cup for this one. I've, I've only missed one World Cup in the last 40 years. Um, and look, at, there's, you could find good reason, you could, you could find arguments uh, for saying, oh, I can't go there because they do this and they do that. I mean, I went to the World Cup in America in 94, despite the fact that America wreaks more havoc on the rest of the world uh, than anyone else. Um, but I thought the situation in Qatar was particularly bad. Um uh, six and a half thousand plus people have died since since Qatar were awarded the World Cup in 2010. Many of them were died uh, involved in the construction work for the stadiums and the services um, for the World Cup. Um, the treatment of immigrant workers is uh, horrific in Qatar. Uh, but that was all swept under the carpet for the World Cup. And so look at once the football teams arrive and start playing football, uh, I too watched the football and I was always going to watch it. Um, I, I didn't go to it, but um, uh, look, at I enjoyed the World Cup anyway. Uh, I didn't think the quality was quite as good as normal, even though I thought the final was probably the best final we've seen mm-hmm. for excitement. Um not Should the, France have won? Not, not, the, not the two best teams ever to reach a final, but uh, it was a great final. Absolutely great. It was amazing entertainment. It went extra time, it went to penalties. Uh, look, at the truth be told, any of them could have won it. Uh, in the first half, uh, Argentina were very dominant, looked so much better than France. Second half, France looked so much better than Argentina. And uh, despite all the plaudits uh, for Messi... I thought in the second half when France were rampant, uh, Messi hardly appeared on the screen because he wouldn't track back and it was killing his team that there were a man short uh, behind the ball uh, because Messi doesn't like to come back uh, to help out uh, in defensive duties. And now listen, he had a, he did have a great tournament and uh, he scored a penalty and uh, he, got this, he got a goal as well. Um, 
and uh, he had a very good tournament and um, I, you know, I was glad that Argentina won um, France are very very good and listen for any uh, any real soccer fan watching right I mean the amount of talent in the French squad uh, France brought on seven subs during the match and mostly young fellas that were, that were brought in right and they were predominantly black right my god what talent have they got but um, as has been pointed out they have a massive pool to pick from they've been colonialists uh, for a long time and they have people uh, from all across Africa and uh, they have uh, strengthened the depth in French football uh, to no end. And uh, France will be around for a long time. Mm. Um, but listen, it was a, a fantastic final. Great. And the t- listen, I enjoyed the tournament. Uh, but You'd have to I, give I, a mention to Morocco, star of the championship. Yeah, no, listen, I mean, um, it had been great if Morocco had got to the final and uh, it was great to see an African team do so well and there was such enthusiasm for them and it was something different. Uh, it was brilliant. They were the first African side to get to a semi-final and they were really good, they were. They were powerful against France. Uh, they, had over 60, they had 61% of the play against France in the semi-final. Unbelievable. Mm. Now, France won 2-0 in the end, but Morocco were really, really good. Um, but no, no, listen, uh, it was, um, it was it a very was, enjoyable tournament. It was poignant that they defeated all the former colonial powers, Belgium, Portugal, Spain. Uh, certainly the migrant communities in Belgium were celebrating to the core. Yeah. But uh, in any case, one. But you look at it, we couldn't end the year on the podcast without talking about the new government, same as the old one. But uh, big fanfare. Uh, Me Hall has departed as Taoiseach, probably one of the worst Taoiseachs in living memory. But the media have recreated him into being a lovable, unflappable. God, and it really reminded me of the time Enda Kenny left, and Enda Kenny was an absolute disaster, really. But he managed to hold it together. He had a bit of luck on his side, and he was an accidental tea shock in that he was nobody's favourite in Fine Gael, but he was the least bad one. He was the one that everybody could kind of accept. But when he stood down, my God, you'd swear that he had, I don't know, sort of done something brilliant. But the coverage about Michal Martin struck me as the same. Nauseating. And so far from the truth because he has actually been disgraceful. No, listen, I mean, um, I, what I'd like, to, I'd like people to, uh, just people that like to get back to the podcast. Um, if Michal Martin wasn't the worst T-Stock in the history of Ireland, um, I'd like to know who your uh, choice is. I'd be very interested in that because I think it's, it merits some sort of a bit of research mm. and survey. Uh, now, I, I, I happened to have the misfortune to watch some of the proceedings uh, in the Dáil last week and I thought Mary Lou's speech and uh, where she more or less laid out fairly black and white uh, the the history of of this particular government and, and their record and she decimated them and uh, it was good. But then for the life of me, how could she get up? How did Sinn Féin get up and give them a standing ovation this this absolutely horrific government. And only this week I spoke on disability rights uh, in the plenary. And uh, the people will know that uh, the right to timely access to affordable, preventive and curative health care is enshrined in the UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. And all the EU member states have ratified it, right? But only uh, last week, the health service in Ireland had to apologise to families of children across the country who cannot 
access disability service. And Inclusion Ireland did a survey at, at, early in the year, I think it was, right? And they found that over 50% of the families of children in need of disability services that were surveyed were 50% weren't in receipt of disability service. 50%. And they said 85% of those uh, that did access it had to wait for over a year. And some of them waited six years for it. I mean, how, how could these people get a standing ovation, tell me? It's, My God, it's, what a government. It's frightening. And it's frightening to think that all of the ministers who stood over that are all back again with a few little changes at the helm, not much. And the idea that Micheál Martin is now Minister for Foreign Affairs and Defence is really a step backwards because Micheál Martin used his term as Taoiseach to undermine our sovereignty in a way in which no Irish Premier ever has. He had basically became a lapdog of Europhilia, really. Like, he's not in any way um, the interests of the people of Europe or anything like that. But he aligned himself with the Hawks in the Baltics and in Poland, far to the extreme of what any of more traditional Western Europe would have done in his zealous... Um, championship of the US-NATO proxy war in uh, Ukraine. And that is sadly to the detriment of all of the Ukrainian people who are losing their lives, who are cold and hungry this uh, winter. The fault of Russia for invading, of course, but the issue for everyone else is how do we stop the war? And it can only be stopped by peace and dialogue. Yes, this maniac is now going to be our foreign affairs minister. Doesn't augur well. Now, just to finish up, uh, I just want to mention Simon Coveney. Um, I think this year was an amazing opportunity for Simon to come up to the plate and look for peace uh, in Europe. Uh, diplomacy and dialogue have been pushed aside. The European Union hasn't wanted peace because it's, it is, because NATO and the US don't want peace. This is a US-NATO proxy war and sadly uh, the Irish government has supported it 100%. And we're saying... Uh, I'm dreading to see what Michael Michal Martin is going to be like as foreign minister. I do think I'll miss Simon because J Simon uh, was generally good before that. He was very good on Palestine. And um, I, apart from uh, the last 10 hmm. months, um, for me, Simon was impressive. Um, uh, I, I, I've been, my heart is broken with him this year. Yeah. But um, uh, at the same time, uh, it's, I think it's unfortunate that Simon uh, didn't uh, hold a seat uh, uh, going forward. No, you're totally right because Ireland brokered its neutrality and its history of peace creeping to get a position on the UN Security Council and could have used that at the first time Europe is back at war. The tragedy that war brings to so many families, primarily Ukrainians, but also Russians and Europeans. But instead he aligned with the warmongers. It's really tragic. And I, I think we should end by acknowledging, seeing as we are talking about Ireland's peacekeeping tradition, the tragic death of Sean Rooney, 24-year-old Irish army soldier who was killed in Lebanon. There's obviously investigations going on there. It seems that the Unifil unit was in an area they shouldn't have been in. Um, but this young man has lost his life, the first Irish Defence Forces personnel to do so in a long time. So very hard time of year for him and his family. And we should certainly acknowledge that. Yeah, no, it was, it was so tragic. And um, uh, the Irish forces uh, have 
a great record uh, at peacekeeping and um, it's just so sad to see a young man like that lose his life. It's terrible. Mm. Let's see the hope the investigations come underway are truthful, independent and uh, get an accurate answer on that. But Lucas, an interesting year, a very challenging year, a year where so many people lost their lives through war. Uh, the start of 2023 seems destined to be the same. We'll continue using the platform here to keep shouting it out, but we'd like to wish you all a happy Christmas. Happy Christmas, all the best. Arrivederci.